Alright, let's take our Bibles out. We're going to turn to the book of Genesis again, chapter 1, where we're going to read verses 26 through 31. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. You know, Lisa and I were talking the other day about technology, and it's, a, it's amazing, isn't it, what technology has done in our lifetime. The computer and the Internet and all those things, and we've got to see so much of it. I remember when I was in high school, there was a, a typewriting class, not a computer class. And they had a, a few computers off to the side that they had gotten, but they were a new thing. You know, and, and so that wasn't, and, and the old floppy disks, and then they went to the hard disks, and computers were already there when I was, uh, by the time I was done with college. But I was out of college when I got my first computer, and it came from a Boeing surplus store. And Boeing was done with those, and it was old, what were they, 386s or something they called them. And I remember a guy from our church volunteered his time to come over and teach me how to use it because you had to tell it to do everything. You had all these commands that you'd type into it, and then it would do something. Windows was a fairly new thing at that time. And he was teaching me these different commands, and I'm writing them down on a sheet of paper. And finally I said, isn't it true that all the newer computers that are out these days, you point this little mousey thing around the pad and you just click on things? And he said, yeah. I said, you know what? When I can afford one of those, I'll do computers. <laughs> Enough of this stuff. <laughs> you know? but, but it's amazing. And, and, and today, today your, your cars have computers in them. Your light bulbs, can, you can control light bulbs with your smartphone if you buy the light right light bulb now. It's just incredible, all the things, the technology. The kids in elementary school are walking around with little computers in their pockets that we call a cell phone. It's just technology is phenomenal. One of the benefits that we have from technology is we can see what's happening within the womb. And I remember with uh, our children that was available. The first, our first child, Timothy, we didn't get to use a ultrasound with him, but we did get to use it with Daniel. In fact, we got it for free. You want to know why? Because the guy wanting to sell the ultrasound wanted to sell one to our doctor. And so he told us, you have an appointment coming up. Will you come in and let us run the ultrasound machine on you? We'll do it for you for free if we can, if we can do it. And we're like, yeah. So I, I took off work for it and everything. And we went to the doctor's office and we watched um, look at Dan. And they could zoom in on his heart and you could see a a quarter of his heart, a chamber of his heart worked, and it was just phenomenal. Well, now today they're even so much better. I mean, it's astounding what you can see with technology. And you know what? The thing that amazes me, though, with all the technology we have today, it's ridiculous that we still have abortion. It is completely ridiculous. If you look at experts within the medical field, they will tell you it is never a pick between the life of an infant and the life of a mother. It just doesn't happen. 
we have, with the medical technology we have these days, that's not an issue. Earlier on in the abortion argument, we were always told that, oh, it's just some tissue. It's not a life in there. It's just tissue in there at this time. It's just removing a piece of tissue, almost like clipping your fingernail to have an abortion. And we've learned through technology that that is absolutely false. And we know through genetics that at the time of conception, 23 chromosomes from the father, 23 chromosomes from the mother come together and a baby is conceived and you have a distinct individual human life at that moment. Nothing new will be added to that life for its whole life. At that point, the only thing left to happen is development, which will happen from within inside of it. But that unique genetic makeup, half the time a different sex than its mom, different genetic code than its mom, different blood type often even than its mom, is growing within his mom. But it's a unique individual life. There's no way around it. And, you know, we can see all of that. It's time for this to be over with. Abortion is, is a far worse atrocity than slavery was. You know, for a long time, slavery was legal in our country. didn't make it right. For a long time, you had people that agreed with slavery. When I moved, when I moved to Virginia in 1984 to the state of Virginia, I met people there that still thought we should have slavery. I couldn't believe that that was happening. You know, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. The only place you came across slavery was in your history books. And I moved to Manassas, Virginia, and I met some people that I worked with, and I remember this conversation went a certain way, and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you saying? I said, are you saying that you actually think we should still have slavery? They said, yeah. And I worked for a guy. We were talking after work one day just around the pickup bed of his truck, and something came up about me being from Seattle, and all of a sudden he looked at me and he says, you're a Yankee? I said, uh, never been asked that before. I guess. I don't know. Never thought of it. I said, uh, from Seattle. Wasn't Seattle wasn't even around the Civil War time, but uh, he says, doesn't matter. They all raise them the same in the North. He says, you're lucky I didn't know that when you got hired. I said, why? He said, I wouldn't have hired you. I thought, are you kidding me? This stuff is still around? The last week I watched a movie on the racial tensions in the South, and it was based on a true life story, and it was a killing that happened down in the South. And I realized in the movie, it was in 1964, just one year before I was born, I told Lisa, I said, I, I cannot believe that this kind of thing was happening in the United States just one year before I was born. It's phenomenal. Well, you know what? I think with abortion, we've come to the same place. It's time to be done with it. A lot of people think we should have it. Doesn't make it right. A lot, just like a lot of people thought we should have slavery. It's legal. Doesn't make it right. You know what? I hate it when we get politicians that stand up on an issue and say, well, it is the law of the land. I always want to ask them, aren't you a lawmaker? Aren't you, aren't you put in office to affect laws in this country? Why would you say it is the law of the land like that's some, some kind of a sealed deal? You know what? Our history's had a history of abortion where it was legal, then it was not legal, and then and now it's legal again. It can be changed again, and it ought to be. We know that it's a life, and we know that it's a human life. In fact, before a Senate subcommittee back in 1981, this doctor stood up and said, in biology and in medicine, it is an accepted fact that the life of any individual organism produced by sexual reproduction begins at conception or fertilization. They were called there to testify before the Senate subcommittee on this issue. And you know what? There was no testimony to the contrary. In other words, there was nobody that stood up and said, no, it isn't, a it isn't a, an established scientific fact. Because it is an established scientific fact. We know that this is when life begins. French geneticist Jerome Lejeune 
said to accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. The human nature of the human being from conception to old age is not a metaphysical contention. It is plain, experimental evidence. Others have said, you know what, if you want to still argue about the meaning of life, the value of life, you can still argue about that. But this one is, this one is settled. There is life there, and it's human life. We know that with the technology we have. Planned Parenthood for years has told us, oh, it's just tissue, and then they sell the baby's organs from the abortions. They harvest the organs. If it's just tissue, how can you harvest organs? And a Christian's response needs to happen in several different arenas. It needs to happen in the arena of society where we stand up for it and say this is wrong. Innocent lives are being taken. Innocent children are being killed. And at the same time, we need to be reaching out in grace and love and compassion toward the women that have experienced this procedure and, and, and participated in this and offer the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ. And we, we talked about that, I think, a little bit last year. We talked about the gospel and abortion. Well, this year, I just want to cover it broadly as we look through Genesis 1 here on the sanctity of human life. The sanctity means it's set apart unto God. It's sanctified. It's important. It's valuable. You know, one of the things I was thinking about this this week was I thought in all the lives that we've taken in our country from 1973 until now, we've taken over 60 million lives. It's, it's approaching 61 million. I have a hard time getting my mind around that kind of a number. And so I started thinking practically, okay, what does that mean? What if, what if I decide to have, I'm going to have a moment of silence for every baby that's been aborted. Just one minute, one minute. Every life that's been aborted deserves one minute of thought, don't they? That seems like the least we could do. I thought, you know what, if we have a moment of silence, one minute for every baby that's been aborted, and we start right now, you will still be here 114 years from now, offering up moments of silence if no further abortions are committed, over 114 years to give one minute of silence just in our country. These lives are valuable. They're important. How many doctors have we killed? How many inventions, even in our day of technology, do we not have because of all those people that have been killed? Surely there's some in 60 million that would be inventors, that would come up with some good ideas. Surely some of them would be doctors. Surely some of them would be artists. Surely some of them, you know, every occupation you can think of when you're talking about 60 million people. But you know what? That's really beside the point. Being a doctor doesn't make them valuable. Being an artist doesn't make them valuable. Being an inventor doesn't make them invaluable. They're already valuable because they're human beings. They have their value is intrinsic to them. That's what our forefathers recognized. That's why we have these inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is just because of what we are. We are a human life. Well, as we look at the sanctity of human life, the three of the reasons, notice these aren't the three reasons, these are just three of the reasons that abortion is wrong that we see in Genesis chapter 1. First of all, it violates the image of God. The one thing that stands out different from all the rest of the creation that God put together from animals and birds and fish and plants and and all the rest of it is that we were made in the image of God. We bear His image. We bear His likeness. That's what gives us value is because we're made in His image. Now, I know that when we ate the fruit, that image has to be marred to some point. But I also know that we look through Scripture, that image is also maintained to some degree. 
In fact, as we were to go on from here, if we go on to Genesis chapter 9, it's after the flood, Noah gets off the ark, and God institutes human government. And this is what he says to Noah in chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. He says, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. Now, remember what's happened previous to this. Cain has killed his brother Abel. The world becomes more increasingly violent, more and more like Cain. And God finally destroys the world because of their wickedness and their violence that is over the face of the earth. Now, when Noah lands on dry land again, God says, now there's going to be a reckoning. If anybody takes the life of a man, he says, from every beast I will require it and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning of the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. You know, this is just a few verses after God gives them permission to eat the animals. He says the animals you can kill and eat, but human beings, if you kill one of those, then you will be put to death. The severest of penalties covers this because you've taken a human life that was made in his image. We see it also in dealing with other situations within the Bible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it points out the fact that Jesus is the image of God, that in Christ our image of God is restored for us. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus Christ came to be our Redeemer, our Savior, to restore the image of God in us. James chapter 3 and verse 9, talking about our tongue, the damage we can do with our tongue, and how it's hard to control. It says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We shouldn't be cursing people who are made in the image of God with the same tongue that we bless God with. But how we treat other people, how we speak of other people, should reflect the fact that those people are made in the image of God. We do it with our kids in our release time ministry all the time. First day of release time, I tell them we got one rule in here. The rule is respect. And we're going to respect three different groups of people. We're going to respect God, our leaders, and others. And I go through how that's what we're supposed to do biblically. And when I get to others, I say, you know what, I want all of you to look around at each other right now. Everybody sitting around you is somebody that's made in the image of God. And so I want you to treat them like it. So they deserve to be valued. They deserve to be respected and treated with some kindness and gentleness. How are we made in the image of God? It's not physically, obviously, because God is spirit. And so that little baby developing within the womb is in the image of God. They don't have to have all their fingers and toes countable, even though that happens really quick. It's, a, it's astounding when you look at the development process of that baby within the womb. Secondly, not only does it violate God's image, it also violates man's responsibility. Man's responsibility, similar to the image of God. Did you notice with the image of God, he makes that statement several times with that little phrase, in his image, in his likeness. He does the same thing with something else, exercising dominion or subduing the earth. Mankind in his creation, in the image of God, he is to exercise dominion. In other words, he has a responsibility. Adam and Eve were put in the garden, and it was their job to tend the garden, to manage the garden. Right off the bat, even before Eve is created, Adam starts to name the animals, and he's categorizing the animals. Just the same thing that we do all the time when we're learning things in science. And so he has a responsibility to subdue the earth. When you get to Cain and Abel, and Cain kills his brother Abel, and God comes along to Cain, and he says, where's your brother? What does Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? I remember we used to say once in a while, it's not my day to watch him. 
It's not my responsibility. Well, remember that passage in Genesis chapter 9? God says you're responsible for one another. If somebody takes somebody else's life, mankind, other people, are responsible to carry out capital punishment on this other person to make sure that this doesn't spread, to make sure this doesn't go any farther, and to carry out justice. You see, God gives mankind, gives us responsibility over the rest of creation and over one another as well. To some extent, we are our brother's keeper. We are responsible to one another. You know, in in Exodus, when God gives even more laws to, to to the people of Israel, in Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25, it says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Notice the infant in the womb of the mother is given the same protection under the law of God as the mother gets. It's not just the mother's life that's at risk or that's valuable in this situation and worth protecting. It's the life of the infant within her womb that is also worth protecting at this point. Why? Because he's made in the image of God. You see, it's mankind's responsibility to protect the sanctity of life that we're allowing to be violated in our country at this time. You know, we do have some laws on our books that also prove the same thing. In fact, if we look at the Unborn Victims of Violence Act signed by President Bush back in 2004, it says, whoever engages in conduct that violates any of the provisions of the law listed in subsection B and thereby causes the death of or bodily injury as defined in section 1365 to a child who is in utero at the time the conduct takes place is guilty of a separate offense under this section. In other words, if somebody does something to a pregnant woman that hurts that baby, they get charged for a separate offense for the baby than the original offense for the mother. In uh, Section 2A, it says, except otherwise provided in this paragraph, the punishment for that separate offense is the same as the punishment provided under federal law for that conduct had that injury or death occurred to the unborn child's mother. You know what it says? Exactly the same thing as it says back in Exodus. Remember that guy several years ago in San Francisco that they killed his wife who was pregnant? And if I remember, he got tried for two murders. That's what this is saying. So then we got to ask the logical question, then how come the mom can just go in and kill the baby? Anybody else kills the baby, it's murder. Mom goes and does it, it's fine. That doesn't make any sense. And we've had that same kind of hypocrisy in, in our clinics and hospitals for years. This eight-month baby that's about to be born premature, they're going to every length to save its life. And this one, for a certain fee, you can go in and just have it killed. It doesn't make any sense. But that's what still exists in our sophisticated modern society today. You know, the Declaration of Independence says that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are all snuffed out in abortion. We are responsible for one another. When, When our society is doing this, we're responsible if we're not speaking up, if we're not trying to put an end to it. The 14th Amendment, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property 
without due process of law or deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. We have laws on our books, in our, in our Constitution, in our amendments to the Constitution that should already be protecting these people. But our Supreme Court, for some reason or another, says, oh, those people don't fit in that category. Instead, you know what's important? The privacy of the mother. Are you kidding me? Stealing something privately doesn't make it okay. Can I kill a three-year-old privately in the comfort of our own home? No. Try, that, try applying that with any other law that we have in the world. There isn't any law that they say, well, as long as you do it privately, it's okay. But for some reason, they can take the life of this child, and the main issue is not the life of the child. The main issue is the privacy of the mother. That just doesn't make any sense. But that's exactly what they said in Roe versus Wade. Notice what Justice Blackburn said. He said, we need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins. It seems to me that that's what it's all about, is when life begins. You're asking the question, can they kill this baby? And so it seems like the first question you have to ask is, when does life begin? Well, as we've already mentioned, science has already covered that. Science tells you life begins at conception and that human life begins at conception. And that you have a complete human life at conception. All it has to do is continue to develop, which it does from within. It's all complete. It's all there. You know, at two years old, they're not done developing either. In fact, you know, we don't hit our mental peak till in our 40s. And so we're developing through much of our life. The Supreme Court said, we don't need to wrestle with this question of when life begins. But then that makes me curious. Then why did he also say this? He says, if, it, if this suggestion of personhood is established, the applicant's case, of course, collapses. Do you see the contradiction in those two statements? On one hand, he says, we don't need to be concerned with when life begins. On the other hand, he said, if somebody does prove that life begins at conception, then the whole case collapses. How can the whole case collapse if it's not dependent upon that, if, if that's not the main issue? But that's exactly the point. This is the main issue. Further, what they stated in the Roe versus Wade case, they said, some of us as individuals find abortion offensive to our most basic principles of morality, but that cannot control our decision. Our obligation is to define the liberty of all, not mandate our own moral code. You hear this a lot. You can't legislate your own morality. You can't legislate morality. What do you legislate then? Isn't a law against murder legislating morality? Isn't a law against theft or slander legislating morality? All laws are legislating morality. What do you mean you can't legislate morality? Morality is what the law is all about. That's its business. But notice he says, Our obligation is to define the liberty of all, not mandate our own moral code. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Remember what we're dealing with. We're dealing with abortion. He's saying that to that mother, she has the right, because of her freedom, to decide what is the nature of life. But the life that we're talking about is a, a different life that's with inside of her. It's not her own life. You see what he's saying? That she gets to define what is life for somebody else. Do you realize using that same kind of logic then, I could kill you, you could kill me. If you have the right within your liberty to define what is life for another, then you can apply that logic to killing anybody. You know, that's, that's just crazy. 
He's saying, we're just going to leave it up to you to decide. Science tells us that's a life. Science tells us it's a human life. It's genetically different than you. Maybe blood type different than you. Sex different than you. It's obviously not just a part of your body, but we're going to let you decide how meaningful that is. I was going to say it's the only place we let that happen, but it's getting more toward we're going to do that at the other end of the spectrum on the other end of life also and just determine people's value at that end of life as well. I remember watching the news a while back and they were talking about this, back by the elections, and they were talking about abortion. And one of the people on the news panel said, no, I, I agree that I recognize that that's a life and that it's a human life. But then he just throws one more word in it. I'm just not sure it's a person yet. So, so I don't know that we can make that decision. Okay, but here's the point. Remember what we're talking about is human responsibility. What is human responsibility in that situation? We're asking the question, can I kill it? Hunting is a big deal around here, right? Lots of us do it. If you see the bushes rustle, I'm not sure if that's a buck in there, but it might be a buck in there, so I can shoot it, right? The point is, you have to prove it. You've got to wait for that deer to come out so you can, first of all, see that it's a deer and not your buddy that was hunting with you. You've got to see that it's a buck and not a doe. You're looking for the antlers on the head. You're looking for the proof. Okay, that's a buck. I can shoot it. You know what the court was saying? We're not sure what it is, so go ahead and kill it. doesn't make any sense at all. If you're not sure what it is, and you're dealing with human life, then you better protect it. Man is responsible. We're responsible to recognize the value in people's lives and to uphold that justice and to uphold that protection. And we can see in the Word of God that God gives that protection to the life in the womb, even in our own society, the laws that our forefathers put on the books, and even more current day put on the books, the laws seem to protect that unborn life, except for in this one case, and it's ridiculous that we're still at that point. Last of all, it violates God's program. It violates God's program. His program from the beginning to the end is the family. And we see that in Genesis 1 because he tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and go out and fill up the earth. I hear every once in a while somebody arguing the earth is getting too crowded as it is. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think large families are still great. Obviously, we had five kids. That's pretty big families. Now, I'm not here to tell every one of you how big a family is to have. That's your business. But you know what? It is God's program. The family is God's program. And I know at the beginning they didn't have any people all over the earth yet. So maybe there is a, a more urgent need to fill up the earth back at that time than there is now. I can see that. But I also kind of see what my friend's point. I remember he was from South Dakota and we were in class one time and the, and the professor at Bible college says, you know, back then, no people there so they had to fill up the earth. The earth is pretty full now. A friend of mine raised his hand and said, how do you know? You ever been to South Dakota? <laughs> you know? And I tell you, the more traveling I do, the more I see that. Because I fly over states when I go visit my, my parents. I look out the window of the airplane and I see all this miles and miles and miles of places nobody's living in. Now granted, sometimes it's in the mountains, sometimes it's over desert, and sometimes it just, it just isn't all that inhabited yet. We've got a lot of room. We can't be overpopulated while we're still paying farmers to grow nothing, Right? That can't be the problem. And it really intrigues me. Here's the one I really can't get my mind around. People are talking about trying to find a way to make Mars habitable so we can live there. Wouldn't it be cheaper to do that with our deserts here first? The commute is a lot closer. It's got to be easier, more cost effective to figure out a way to live in the deserts of California, Nevada, Utah, than it is to go to Mars. We're just not that crowded. But you know what? God wanted His people to multiply. And what does abortion do? The opposite. 
It extinguishes people. It kills people. You know, in the Revolutionary War, 25,000 people, 324 died. The Civil War, 498,332 people died. World War I, 116,708 people. World War II, 407,316. Korean War, 54,246. Vietnam, 58,655. The Iraq War, 2,107. Annual abortions in America. Annual abortions is way more deaths than all those wars combined. You see, God said, be fruitful, multiply. Abortion says, extinguish it, get rid of it. God's program is not this death. God's program is life. And abortion is wrong because it violates the image of God. Abortion is wrong because it violates human responsibility in protecting the lives of one another. And it violates the program of God.